Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. I love it. We've got our youth down here, our little youth collective. I'm going to call you youth collective. There we go. And uh, anyway, we've got Pastor Paul. We're going to speak about generations today. And um, first of all, we thought we'd have a little chat about what generations mean. Hello. Oh, hello. I think I would have learned how to do that after all those years, really, wouldn't you? <laughs> Press two buttons. Press two buttons. Why didn't you explain that before, everybody? It was only two buttons. I thought need, it was, I thought it was a massive combination I had to press or something. There you go. Um, no, well, first, before we do that, Elise, we need to congratulate you, by the way, because uh, Elise has recently officially become a credentialed pastor. Not just, a, not just a pastor of Lighthouse, you know. I mean, we can call anybody pastor around here. I mean, we don't need permission for that. Uh, I've even heard Zane be a pastor, call pastor occasionally from there, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, senior pastor, I've heard that about him as well from time to time. But actual credentialed pastor, well done. And uh, that means she's recognised by the ACC along with probably around 4,000 other pastors. That's amazing, yeah, 4,000. But it's yeah. also good because typically, uh, you know, you're, you're about to become a senior pastor in your own right, right? don't worry about those other two. But uh, because you were here before Andy was on staff, yes, so he just tagged along later. <laughs> But uh, it is important it's, because it's, in our this, own in movement... This case, oh, sorry. I was going to say, in this case, it's the it's he married in to be the senior leader. Yeah, he did. He not married, the yeah. He's, married yeah, like he wanted to go into ministry, <laughs> so he married a credentialed woman. Yeah. And what's good about it is because often in, we see in church world, we see that the man seems to take the predominant role in pastoring and then the wife comes along for a free ride. But not you. No. You're a leader in your own right and you got recognised for that, so that's important. Give her another hand. You know, Thanks, deserves Paul. two claps there, so well done. Um, now, so we're, we are talking about generations because what we're, what we're doing is um, in the very few uh, Sundays I may have left, that sounds terrible, doesn't it, that way? I'm planning on living beyond this, but uh, uh, as you might have heard, uh, maybe you weren't here last week and you just received the news via email, which is not a great way to uh, get the news, I guess, but nonetheless, I'm here till uh, end of November, so we can definitely be talking more. But uh, the idea that Annette and I have decided to transition at the end of November this year uh, because we feel like, I won't do the whole story today, but certainly the simple thing is this, that actually I only ever heard God call us into it and uh, 22 years ago, and I cried then, by the way, and then last week as you heard me say I got called, we feel like we've been called out of it, God said nothing to me for 22 years, I wanted to leave multiple times, uh, you know, I wanted to leave because I was happy, I wanted to leave because I was unhappy, I wanted to leave because I was offended, you know, I had a range of things there. Um, that would have been easy to leave, particularly when I wasn't going well. But actually, it's strange that I feel more passionate about Lighthouse and uh, feel more healthy than I've ever felt in my life. Yet, it's in that moment that we heard God say, it's time for us to go and lead the church. And we all got the, t- the tissues out last week when we you did. got it teary was a bit as well. Sad last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was worse on the leaders' night, so if you came to the leaders' night, I was a bit, I was a bit uncontrollable. So, and that was stoic, wasn't she? She was. She and was even uh, very witty. You know why? Because she did pre-crying. You ever done pre-crying? You know you're going to have to cry in front of people, so you practice pre-crying. She was watching, I kid you not, she was watching movies that make her cry during the day. I was texting her some ideas yeah, of you movies were. to watch I was in the state, the man. So she gets to the night and I said, oh, how are you feeling? She said, oh, I feel fine. Been, been crying all day. To which Paul's had no time to think all day. And I get there at night and I bore my eyes out. That's what I did. So 
Anyway, where were we? Where were we? Generations. 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 So, Elise, you are, your role as you lead into the future will be over generations, which pretty much puts you over everybody, by the way, because everybody's in the generation. Um, tell me about that for you. You're, I know you're a second-generation church kid yourself, but why are you particularly passionate about generations? Because before we gave you the title, you were actually already loving that anyway. Yeah, I do. I love, I'm very passionate about generations. I love being in church. I love, I grew up, like I said, second generation. So from, I can I can only remember being in church and uh, from that young age, even looking up and we've got great family friends that were in our church with us, that married us, uh, at our wedding, not married us, but at our wedding with us that have celebrated all the big milestones with us. And um, they were people I was able to look up to and see that what faith looked like that next step up. And uh, so for me, I love it now. Now my kids are here in church and they are able to look up and see um, what it's like for great role models like Zane and Nick and youth um, leaders. Uh, it's, it's For me, it's an amazing opportunity to be in a community and a healthy community when all the generations are there. Um, I know that you can be in any community in a dance, you know, dance or sport or whatever, but to be in a faith community uh, where you're a whole, your whole person is being looked after and where people are coming around you and, and caring about your spiritual health and being able to look up and out and pass on, it's, there's nothing like it. That's true. It's a, it. a good point. Actually, believe it or not, my... Um, kids, when they became teenagers, suddenly thought I knew nothing. Yes. Who would have thought that? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, they thought the youth pastors yes. knew, knew everything. Right. What a great privilege you have, Nick, to yes. suddenly become Thank the you, person Nick. that knows everything. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, that we know nothing. Yeah. And so for me, I just thought, thank goodness I had, uh, it was, uh, Fernando was there, and then Grant Lowe, and my kids, yeah, they just straight away thought, their youth pastor was incredible and yep. they followed. Did you have somebody at around about I did, yeah, 17, youth leader, 16 definitely. that yep. you followed? Yes, I did. My my youth leader in connect groups and things like that. Loved. And did you ignore your parents during that um, time as well? Yeah, I was I was a good girl. <laughs> you can imagine, Elise. She would have yeah. been terrible, right? She would have been wild, Elise, for sure. I wasn't sure. wild, but uh, I definitely, my parents thought my rebellion was getting married young. So there you go. Yeah, that's, right. that's how, how young rebellious. were you? How young were you? I was 19, a teenage 19. bride. <laughs> yeah, that's young. Did you have to get permission to marry her that young? He did. No, he asked okay. permission. It's close. He asked permission. He yeah. Anyway. Yeah, story for another time. Moving yeah. on. You'll have plenty of time. Yeah. yeah. So, Paul, you've been uh, at Lighthouse or in church, or at Lighthouse, sorry, for 45? 44. 44 Don't years. Don't get it wrong. So, since I was 11, I've been at Lighthouse since I was 11, 11. years of age. But, you know what's interesting? I was saying this morning... Um, Lighthouse was the first Pentecostal church in the Illawarra. So when my parents were Baptists, they used to come and visit until they got they were Baptists, until they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they got kicked out. And that's another story. Uh, but so they turned up at Lighthouse. I was like two or three years of age, yeah. right? When I, I remember laying my dad's lap, um, you know, and him pinching me when I was being naughty or whatever, uh, at Lighthouse, like all those years ago. And then when I was 11, they moved us to Lighthouse. So, yeah. Yeah. And you had a great story this morning about Did I? having someone pray for you as a young boy and seeing God's oh, power. Yes. Is that what yes. you were alluding to? Yes. Right, great. I love that one. <laughs> Should just come Tell out us and that story. Um, yeah, well, I had a, my kid's uh, leader at the time, or pastor, I think he was. Uh, I was probably about 10 or 11, and I got uh, stung by a blue bottle, didn't know I was allergic. And I just, I just blew up around my leg like big massive welts I was in a lot of pain mum because you know you can't miss church she dragged me to church uh, that morning don't worry don't worry your son's limping around everywhere and uh, anyway my kids leader he says to me he says Paul did you know that God heals I said no I didn't know and he said well I'm gonna pray would you let me pray for you right now that God would heal your leg 
message here or whatever, mate. And anyway, so away he went. And I kid you not, it went instantly from my leg. I never forget as a 10-year-old, I looked down, I was wearing shorts, you know, my beautiful legs. And uh, there it was, red welt swelling. By the time he finished praying, it had left my leg. And I never forget that as a kid. That's the first moment I realised, oh, God... God heals. I didn't realise God heals. Yeah, it's so good. Amazing. I love that story. And uh, Paul, so you've seen 40, 40 years in Lighthouse, 44 years in Lighthouse. Um, you've been through lots of seasons. I've seen different families. You've got your youth families that you taught as youth kids now with their own yeah. kids in youth. And yeah. uh, what does it mean for the, the older generations, the wiser generations? Why is it so important for them and for us as families to have our kids in church? Oh, I think... Uh, you know, you know, I'm very much the Monday guy. I talk about Monday, but don't don't misread me. The idea that you commit to having a home, a spiritual home, is actually very, very important. My parents, although I didn't get a choice when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years of age, I, I was joking around this morning, right? Mum, my parents never asked me whether I wanted to come to church. Oh, that was never a question I got asked as a kid. They just threw me in the back of the car and away I went. And as harsh as that sounds, they created a discipline and a routine in me that's very important. It's funny, isn't it? Because we have routine for all other health areas of our kids' lives. You know, you should go to school, you should eat good food, you know, all, we have all these other routines. I would encourage you that equally, one of the most important routines is to make sure that you model consistency and faith by either bringing them to church or youth or something or both. Um, my, uh, I am the product, of, maybe I haven't said this for years, but I am the product of good youth ministry, right? I'm, I honestly believe I'm still uh, following the law because I had a great youth leader that even though I didn't believe my parents at that age, uh, I felt that at least I could, that, that person there that leads me understands me. Yeah, I love good. that. It's good. I feel like for me it was I had great um, friends in youth so I didn't have to, you know, get caught up in bad groups of friends because I had really great support in the friendships I found at youth as well as youth leaders but, yeah, important. Well, thank you, Paul. We are, This is one of my very favourite messages so we're excited to hear it. No yeah. pressure. No. No pressure at all but uh, let's uh, give Paul a warm hand as he oh, begins thank you. his message thank you. for us. Pastor Elise. Um, what that we chatted uh, a week or so ago and what we decided to do, I said to the guys, well, what do you want me? I've got, you know, a month or so of Sundays to do. I've got, I'm here for 10 weeks, but I'm only speaking for about four of those or something. What would you like me to speak on? And I, we, we, as we got chatting, we decided, well, um, Andy's going to be over discipleship and spiritual formation, which is actually a value that I've talked a lot about over the years. Elisa's over generations and Josh's over community. And so we thought, why don't we just dedicate those Sundays to some key theme messages that I've used over the years, not because I don't want to write a new one, but because I think they're part of the DNA of Lighthouse. And they actually are messages that uh, consistently over the years I've heard people say this has really uh, helped them. So I do want to talk about generations. Some of you may have heard us say when we had the 50th anniversary, Lighthouse is, so Lighthouse is about 53 years old, but Lighthouse has had its first ever Sunday uh, on March the 9th in 1969 in Wentworth Street in Port Kembla, wherever direction that is, over there. Uh, and that same year, about in November, we joined the Christian Revival Crusade, which is a denomination. We're now in the Australian Christian churches as well. And I think this, that when Bill and Joan Beard started the church, uh, 53 years ago. I'm, I'm sure they wanted it to be a successful church, but probably what they weren't thinking that we now know is that it's actually a generational church. It's generational. Did you know we're not a young church, nor are we an old church? We're a generational church. We're a church, we actually more, we are the place where you can bring 
the generations of people through. And did and it's possible that you're not only are you here, but as you've had your kids here, I see Trace there, and she had her kids here at Lyatt House, not here physically, of course. She, you know, she had them elsewhere, but she had kids, decided to have a family. So you, it's the kind of church where you can raise your kids into teenagers, into young adults, and of course, as I have seen, uh, seen my young people that I that were 13, 14, 15, I've watched them have kids, and now they're kids in church. It's that kind of church. It's generational. But probably Bill and Joan didn't think so much about that back then. Um, Lighthouse is that which the Bible speaks of, I believe, in Psalm 33, 11. Let me read it to you. It says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. We often forget about the forever God. He's not just the now God. He's the forever God. And the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. So he looks from the heavens and he sees the generations. He recognizes, acknowledges what got us here. He sees this current moment now, but he also sees uh, the next generation as well. And it's important to know because as we transition, I don't think we've got the baton here. I forgot to coordinate it. Oh, we do? Oh, look at that. No, we don't. We all know what a baton is. Oh, you've got it in your handbag there so you can belt somebody, Elise, if they... Who watched the... Um... Who watched the... Um... Commonwealth Games and the men's four by hundred or two hundred or whatever it was, and the third runner, that was awkward. He tripped. They've been practicing for two years, and they're running along, and he goes to grab the baton and he trips or something and he goes flat on his face, race over. You know, for us at Lighthouse, we are actually in that season. I want to describe it to you this way: we are. Actually, I, I, and I know it's difficult and I know people are still processing and I get that and we'll, we'll give you time to do that. And it's, by the way, it's completely normal if you feel a bit sad and that and I'm still sad about it as well. It's happy sad. I had to explain to Joan, my mother-in-law, because she watched me on Zoom that Wednesday night, which only made her more sad because she thought I was sad as in something was wrong or I didn't want to leave. I said, no, no, it's happy sad. It's a difficult one. We would, we'd, it would be easy for us to stay, but actually... We've got to be obedient to the Lord in this. And so we're doing what we've always done. In other words, we're being consistent. But as we hand it over to these three, it's a really critical moment because all of your natural feelings in this handover time, like it was when they handed it to me, all of them scream, depending on your personality, get up and run. I can't be here anymore. I can't be here anymore. Or um, it can scream, oh, I can't believe they do that. That's just doesn't suit me, that's not the right time, I can't function. And, and what you'll do is you'll form opinions, but you know what, you should be at Lighthouse just like I am because God directed you to or he didn't. Not because of how you feel or, or I didn't like what happened or whatever. Um, I can't be, nor can Annette, be the people that you build your life around, nor can the new team. You have to build it around the Lord because change is inevitable. I'm not diminishing what is such a big thing. But this, this, this part that we're doing right now, the transition, we can't be like the third runner. We can't have, because God is building generationally and you have to see your part in it. And when God is doing something generationally and he's bringing a change, then all of us have to activate and work with that change. We can't be the one that says, I don't even want to batten, get it away from me, I can't. We have to say, well, God, it's difficult, but we're going to practice 
We're going to work hard to grab what God has for the next generation. I thought of it today as I was driving out. Um, I was thinking to myself, imagine if Jesus doesn't come back for 500 years. Right? And that sounds wild, right? But it's possible. Nobody knows. I don't know when Jesus will come back. Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back, by the way, according to scriptures. So stop guessing um i know it felt like it the last two years i'm sure jesus was going to ride in any moment there when COVID was on um but what if it is 500 years then lighthouse could quite possibly have another 30 leaders or 20 leaders or who knows and so it's part of what we do but i want to encourage you today because i think i don't know what to do with it now pass it don't drop it at least don't drop it it could be symbolic <laughs> or not Matthew 1, verse 2, good catch, uh, is really exciting reading, right? It seems like it's a waste of Bible space. Of all the things you're going to say, Lord, do you really need to give us the genealogies? Does it really matter? You know, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And we could go on and on and on. But it's important because God's reminding us that that's how he works. That with one generation, their season is done. So the next takes it on. And I think we typically want to skip past those boring bits. But in this moment, it has value because God is saying there's more going on than just the people you have in front of you in this time. God is seeding one generation to the next. You know, one of the reasons why Annette and I felt confident we could hand the baton, maybe I should have kept it, hand the baton, don't bring it back. Um, we, we, you can't give it back once we give it over. Um, is because the, because the leaders we have and the calibre of people that we've been working with behind the scenes to make sure that they have what it takes to lead what God's doing. We have, though you mightn't have seen it, spent a lot of time with these three to ensure that they know how to lead well. I can tell you that Paul Bartlett at 33 was nothing like these three leaders. They're exceptional. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And Bill didn't hand me a vision. Didn't, didn't Actually, Bill, God bless him, who left two weeks after, like left to be with the Lord, by the way, not just left. Uh, he, didn't, he said, oh, there's a, Paul, we'll talk about that when I get back. We'll talk about that. I'll show you how to do that. I'll show you how we can. And, and, and the Lord took him. So, Lord, I'm planning on staying. Just keep it between us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not retiring. Don't say retirement. That's what he said. And I'm planning, I've got lots of things God wants me to do, but in these guys, guys, God is going to use them uniquely in this next season. So Hebrews 7 and verse 9. In addition, we might even say these Levites, I know this is a funny scripture, but let me explain. It has context. The, one, uh, the ones who collect the tithe paid a tithe to Machizeldek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Machizeldek collected the tithe from him. You say, what on earth? I want to draw that point for a moment. God is actually saying this, that Levi was inside of Abraham but not born. But Levi could be credited as a giver even though he wasn't yet born. Now, this is not a message about, I don't need to tithe because my parents used to. That's not that message. Here's what it is. So when God looks at people, he sees the seed of who's in you, not just you. 
God is always looking generationally, and he's saying that one generation affects the other. That's why the baton, the handover, is so important, because you don't hold something that suits you. You hold something God wants to seed for the next generation. You and I together in this moment carry the careful apparatus required to set up the seed for the next generation. It needs to be done well, and it needs to be done with that understanding. You know, I believe that when God looks at us, he sees a city and he sees a nation that he wants to transform. I actually believe this, believe it or not. I believe God sees in you the seed of lost people. Did you know you have in you people that don't yet know Jesus, that God has seated with you, people you're meant to be praying for, people you're meant to be organizing a coffee with, to have uh, a deliberate and intentional conversation for? And I think what happens when we don't think generationally, I think we get robbed of momentum, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. I think we plan poorly. So this might, it might sound terrible when you heard me say that Annette and I started thinking this through 18 months ago. That's not because we're ready to get out. That was because the momentum God has built here needs careful attention. It needs to be handled right. Did you know in most jobs, you you just give two weeks notice? You know that doesn't work here? We're doing kingdom things here. Paul Nett coming to the board and going, oh, yeah, we're out in two weeks, does not work. Because we see that God, we recognize if we didn't plan well, if we didn't pray it through, if we didn't involve teams of people, if we didn't have a process, then the momentum of 53 years, we come to nothing. So important. So I want to talk to you real quick about three generational battles, and I want to use this interchangeably. I want to use it about Lighthouse, and I want to use it about you, because it's going to help you in your faith this afternoon, Exodus 2, 5 and 6. Do not come, it's about um, Moses, do not come, uh, about Abraham, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, I am the God of uh, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look. Now, I want to talk about th- three generations. I want to talk about three battles that you face depending on what generation you are in faith and and what we're about to see at Lighthouse, which is a third generation. Now, of course, God has lots of generations, but it seems like he stopped at just talking about three in this moment. I want to talk about generation number one. If If you are the first generation of Christian in your household, this will resonate with you. Bill and Joan Beard, who started Lighthouse, were the first generation of Lighthouse. I was the second. These guys are the third. Genesis 12, 12 and verse 1 says, The Lord uh, had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Did you know Abraham left on a word that God gave him, not knowing where to go or what it will look like or when to stop looking for it? He was just told to go. And I want to say today that the first generation is the battle for the seed. That this battle is for the first generation that, who started to introduce God into their lives. And if you're the first generation that introduced God into your family, into your household, my dad was the first of generations of Christians. And uh, it had an impact on him. And if you are the first generation to choose to follow, then you will experience a sense of leaving or loss. Did you know the first generation has that your battle is a sense of loss? Here's why. Because you have to leave the familiar like Abraham. 
what was comfortable, what you knew, what you understood. You step out of your family as the first Christian. What does your family try to do? We don't like the new you. We don't like you. Come back, drink copious amounts of something with us. We don't like. Come, come away. We like old you. Oh, you're not giving money to the church. We don't like that you, that part of you. Give money to us. They don't like the new you. And when you're the first to follow Jesus in a generational line, you have to leave a whole bunch of things that you loved, that you appreciated, and sometimes you will pine for, and that, that generation will spend their whole lives trying to get you to come back. And you have to constantly stand there and say, that's not me anymore. I love you, but I can't live that life. First generation always battle loss. No matter how, no many how, no how many things you have in common? Stop, couldn't talk for a moment. Um, friction will cause, will happen. My dad was one of nine. And I can tell you that his history, and dad's 89, is that essentially from the day my dad gave his life to Jesus at 27 years of age, his brothers and sisters stopped talking to him. And he spent all of his life trying to have small or minor connections because his decision, his battle, is to battle loss. Bill and Joan Beard came out of a very strong Baptist family, very strong family culture. They moved from Sydney to Wollongong as spirit-filled, baptised in the Holy Spirit Christians who, when Bill started here, he was not, didn't mind a bit of demon busting, a bit of ripping demons out. He got the front page of the Mercury uh, that said, the exorcist has come to Wollongong. How's that for an out front page of the Mercury? They battled loss. The first generation battles loss. But here's a promise for you, first generation. Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. This is your promise. You've left something. They want you back, but don't worry. I will bless you, God said. I will make you famous, and I will be a blessing to others. This is what happened to Lighthouse, by the way. Lighthouse, way before me, became famous for helping people get set free. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you in contempt and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. What a great promise for you. If you're feeling like you've suffered loss because of your faith, I want you to remember this promise. that Yes, you have suffered loss, but God says, I recognize it. I recognize that you in obedience moved away from an old life, an old familiarity, and that you took this up and I'm going to bless you for it. Second generation is, is the battle for the bridge. This is Isaac, the promised son of Abraham. And actually, he was first and foremost, he was the bridge between law and grace. The Old, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Because we know this, that Abraham, was, he was, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he's the father of faith. You know why? Because there he was with his cute little son, Isaac. And as bizarre as this is, God says, Isaac, Abram, I want want you to take your son up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him for me there on that mountain. Abraham fully intends to do it, but not because he's he's a murderer, because of something very powerful and why he's been called the father of faith. Because he didn't understand God, but he trusted him. It didn't make sense what God was saying, but he believed God anyway. And he decided to give the ultimate sacrifice because he loved God more than he loved his very own son. And of course, we know the stories of the moment he went to sacrifice his son. 
God said, don't do that. And that's when he named him. And here's, he, So the bridge between living lawfully and living in grace. And here's why. If you're a second generation, here's your challenge. I met the church before I met God. I can't think of a time that I wasn't in church. And did you know that's not always great? It doesn't bear on me that well. Did you know, as I said at the start, my mum and dad never asked me if I wanted to come to church. It was just expected of me. So I never had what they had. My dad was an alcoholic and gets gloriously saved, leads all his friends to Jesus, got the most amazing testimony about how he become a Christian. What, is, what does Generation 2 get? I go to kids' church and I say a little prayer with my kids' church leader because I've been going since I was zero. No, no addiction testimony, no been in prison for decades as a six-year-old. Nothing. I just was, I, I don't know, maybe I realised I was rude to the kids' church leader or something. I don't know, I need, I need Jesus, clearly. So I don't know what it was. Maybe you went to a Christian school before you met Jesus. You know, I love Christian schools and I love church, but you know the problem with Christian schools? Don't quote me, I'm the president. I mean this in a good way. Not, not Christian schools, but the problem with it for Christian kids is, it, is God looks lawful, not gracious. Because they're applying, rightly so, by the way, rightly so, they apply Christian values, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, all you pick up is the law. God's lawful. So why is Christian education so important? It's, it's so important not only to teach moral value, but relationship with Jesus. Why is Cedars, our school, why is it connected to church like this? Because we don't want to become a moral, a Christian value-based school without people knowing you need to give your life to Jesus. So if you ever come to Cedars Celebration, they invite me every year, this will be my last year, I get up and preach the gospel. Because to follow God first without knowing him is horrible. He's an ogre. And so second generation, I didn't get asked... I just arrived, and now if I don't realize it's about relationship, and I want to ask you today, do you just have a relationship with the church, or do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's really important. It's a really big life question, because I appreciate your loyalty and your faithfulness, but actually you have to do it out of revelation, not out of commitment. You have to know that this, this is the involvement of church is a spillover from my personal relationship with Jesus. I want to be here. I don't have to be here. You know, I know your teenagers give you a hard time, right? Give us grace, Lord, for raising teenagers. You do need a lot of grace. They're yet to come, by the way, for those of you ready. And, and the tension is that you, they, not all of them, but one or two of them might go a bit rogue. But actually, in that season, you've got a really interesting thing to manage. Because actually part of their rogueness is, is important. Because they have to move from following God because you want them to. To finally get to a point where they have to choose to follow God. And maybe they won't initially. Maybe for two years they're just like, I don't want your God. I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm not saying it's okay in terms of it's okay. But it's okay in terms of their maturity. Because you never want your kids in their 20s still coming to church because you're still making them. Yes, when they're 10, you should absolutely make them. Don't even ask them, right? Just toss them in the car, lock the doors, drive them here, sit them on the front, right? That's fine. That's what you do when you're parents. But as they get into that age group, it's a different thing. So here's what I found. Attendance for me 
became my relationship, not what, not what I should have been with God. And we know what happened to Isaac. Isaac was non-confrontational and he moved around a lot to avoid challenges, that sec- second generation. You know why? Because he almost lived like the big stuff had been done by his dad's generation. I know it's weird and I- I've managed to achieve some things over the years, but my dad was the legend in the Illawarra. You don't know because he's old. He's 89, old and decrepit. No, he's just old. It'll get back to him when I say that. My dad was citizen of the year three times. He was nominated 13 times. He was the founder of the Wollongong City Mission, which became Mission Australia, right? He was a legend. He could walk, he's like Mr Wollongong. And so when I'm 19 and they give me the youth pastor role at Lighthouse, I'm like, oh, jeez, man, I've got nothing. How do I compete against that? How do I do that? And more so, this, these guys here, they're about to take Lighthouse, nor should they, they might feel like it, but it's not true. Because do you think for a moment God run, he runs out of an idea for a new generation? Do you think he's, he watches what my dad did or what I did and says, that was it, got nothing else, got no new things, got no fresh innovation, got no new people we're going to reach? No, I'm done. Oh, I, was, I was good for two generations, I'm tired. No, that's not God. He's never-endingly giving vision, revelation, inspiration to every new generation. You know, when I became senior pastor, a lot of people would compare me to Bill, which was a little unfair, uh, even though I grew up under him for 22 years or something. It was unfair because I just was not like him. I loved him, but I'm not the same person, and nor could I be. And so I realised something after a while as everybody kept saying, it's not like Bill, it's not like Bill. You always say, it's not like Paul, it's not like Paul. What you can't do is do that. Because actually, here's what I realised. There was something ultimately... There was something ultimately about my personality and Nets personality, my gifting, my talent that Lighthouse needed for, this, for the season we just led. And I can tell you equally that whatever God's doing at Lighthouse for the next 20 years, there's something about the new leaders that we've appointed that, that in their personality, gifting and style that Lighthouse needs for the future. You have to believe that. You have to believe that God chooses based on what he wants to do. Lastly, I'm nearly done. The third generation is the battle for permanence. Um, it seems like for some reason, God only describes three generations. And I think one of the reasons is he knows this, that once the first generation choose God, the second, gen- the second generation stick with God. He knows that by the time the third generation decide to stick with God, there's so much momentum, anything can happen. There's so much force. There's 53 years of God values, God investment, faithfulness, loyalty. Look at you. Faith, all that you've committed to, there's so much momentum. It's like a train coming down the track. Once that third generation grab it and say, we are in, amazing things can happen. The third generation is the Jacob generation. Jacob was a wrestler. He was wrestling his little brother Esau on the way out of the womb, the Bible says. And it's the wrestle for purpose. There's no doubt uh, the new team will carry on vision, but the challenge you have to keep fighting for is that strong sense of purpose that God is doing something all the time. You know, I want to pray for you this morning, this afternoon. I'm going to believe, like I am and you are, that in this process, by the way, I I hope it helped you today when you think about your own kids. There's nothing, uh, I, 
this is an old man's statement. Can I make an old man's statement, please? I'll probably make a few. Zane, don't have to be so loud at encouraging you. What about you could have said, just make it as a young man or something. You could have said that. Um, I'm going to make a few as I go. Things I've learned, uh, things I've watched, it's like uh, David says, as I look back over my life, there's some things I'm sure of. Here's one thing I'm sure of. Parents that live their faith out authentically, I'm not saying perfectly, that's definitely far from it. I'm definitely a far from perfect parent. But people that live out their faith authentically with God, in other words, God, I haven't, I don't know what to do, but I'm here with you, I'm sticking it out with you. And you do it not just on a Sunday, but you do do it during the week and you bother to, from time to time, when trouble's on, my dad had a breakdown when I was 14 years of age and he called, we called the family together and we prayed about it. They're honest about it. We prayed together. Sometimes we, because dad did a ministry where he sold his business, we had no money and my parents would get together and we'd say, right, we're going to believe God for food this week. Many times. And then an envelope of money would turn up. I'm a Christian today because I didn't just see God on Sundays. I watched God at work during the week. What have I seen as I look over my life? It's the parents that value God things. Even this, consistently, value God things. Consistently. Other parents that see their kids go on to serve the Lord. I've watched it for my short life. And I want to encourage you to do those things. Father, I thank you for every single person today. I thank you for what you're doing in every life. God, I thank you for this season. It's difficult. It's a challenge. God, there's some heartbreak for us all as well. But I know this. You are a generational God. And if you had a plan for the first, if you had a plan for the second, you've definitely got a plan for the third. Lord, I pray that you show us all our part in that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a different light.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.